Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. We meet again. Thanks so much for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is episode 52. This is the final episode of the year, and it will mark my one-year anniversary of doing a podcast. Anyway, for this episode, I thought I would talk a little bit about the end of the year and my reflections about 2018 and 2017. Can you think of a year in your lifetime that you have wanted to end more than 2017? My God, this has just been a horrendous year. It's like every single day, something new and horrible and despicable seems to happen in the news. I mean, it used to be, you know, you could go days or weeks when it would be slow news days, slow news weeks. Not anymore. Every day it is something else. I can't wait for 2018. Hopefully we'll have a a new president in that year. Okay, so some thoughts about 2017. First of all, for me, I have to say I live in Los Angeles and the final week of the year is always the best week of the year in Los Angeles. Why? Well, number one, it's practically empty. I mean, the industry has shut down. Well, it's been shut down since Thanksgiving, but they're all in Hawaii or in Aspen terrorizing the help there. Here, oh man, it's 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 unbelievable. It's a ghost town here, and you can get from Brentwood to L.A. International Airport a trip that normally takes fifteen minutes. On the 405 freeway, you can do it in only 45 minutes. That's how empty it is. You can get a reservation in just about any restaurant in Los Angeles, Spago, whatever. You know, they won't laugh if you call and say, hey, it's 5.30 at night. Oh, any chance uh, I can get in tonight, like around 7, 7.30? You know, they don't just hang up on you, or they don't just say, uh, unless your name is Travolta, no. Uh, they say, yeah, yeah, 7 o'clock reservation, no problem. 7.30 for 6, sure, easy, come on down. That only happens the final week of the year. And here is how deserted Los Angeles is. I heard, and this is just a rumor, so I don't even know if this is true, but I hear that you can even get a parking space at the Grove. I'm sure that's probably just a a wives' tale. Now, if you're a member of one of the guilds, specifically the Writers Guild or the Directors Guild, and certainly if you're a member of the Motion Picture Academy, and in some cases, the Screen Actors Guild, you can go to a lot of movies for free. They offer all of these movies that they hope will receive 
Oscar nominations, and all you have to do is go to the theater and show your card, and you and a guest get in for free. Now, they used to do this for the entire week, and then they went like, Monday through Thursday. I mean, yeah, Oscars are important, but we still need to make money on Saturday night. But still, Monday through Thursday, you can go see any movie that might get an Academy Award nomination. And, you know, this is the Guild giving back to the community until the nominations are announced. And when they are, bam, all of those freebies disappear instantly. Right now, I'm getting emails, uh, hey, there's special screenings and, you know, you can go to this private theater and Alexander Payne will speak after, uh, you know, you can see uh, Aaron Sorkin, you can see any of these guys because they're all talking up their movies hoping to get Academy Award nominations. And once the nominations are announced, you can forget about all of that. I remember a number of years ago, there was some independent movie that I wanted to see, and I had a day off. It was like a Wednesday afternoon, and I checked the papers, and it was only playing in a few select theaters, and oh, this was probably about 20 years ago. This was before there were screeners, the DVDs that were sent to Academy members and to Guild members. So if you wanted to see these movies for free, you actually had to go to a theater to see them. And I noticed that this particular movie was playing at night in several local art theaters. And the only place that it was playing during the day was in a theater way out in the San Fernando Valley called The Pepper Tree. And the Pepper Tree was a cineplex of six or seven theaters, and it was smack dab in the middle of a mall way out in Panorama City or Pacoima or one of those valley places that started with a P. And I had nothing better to do that day, so I got in the car and I bombed on down there, and I go up to the box office, and there is this... It looks like she's, you know, 16 years old, some teenage girl who is uh, who work in the ticket counter there. And I say, uh, one ticket for, I don't know what the name of the movie was, um, you know, the Martin Borman story or something, I don't know. And I showed my Writers Guild card. And she said, what's this? And I said, well, I'm a member of the Writers Guild, so I get in for free. She says, well, uh, what? I don't know anything about this. I, I never heard anything about any free tickets. I said, yeah, I just uh, show you the ticket and uh, you should have a clipboard and you just write down my name and I go in. And she said, well, I've I've never heard of this. I said, well, if you get a copy of the LA Times, you'll see there'll be an ad for the movie and on the bottom there is like a banner saying members of the... Writers Guild and Directors Guild and SAG, blah, 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 uh, get in by showing their card. And she says, oh, I, gee, I, really, I, I don't know anything about this. And I said, well, is your manager around? She said, no, he doesn't get here until 2 o'clock. And I said, well, still, I should be able to get a, a free ticket. And then she looked at me 
with a pained expression, and she said, tickets are only a dollar. Well, I don't have to tell you uh, how sheepish I felt. And um, and then I said, well, okay, I'll wait till 2 o'clock for the manager. No, I, I paid the dollar and, and saw the movie. New Year's Eve in Southern California is pretty much like New Year's Eve everywhere else. My grandparents used to say that New Year's Eve was for amateurs. One special attraction in Southern California is the fact that we have Disneyland. Disneyland, especially in the late 60s, early 70s, used to be the destination for teenagers. And one year, I took my date to Disneyland. And the thing is, they don't tell you this. They do tell you that there is a dress code, okay, that guys have to wear jackets and ties and girls have to wear dresses. Yeah, but what they forget to tell you is that it's 40 degrees. And so everybody is out there freezing their asses off at Disneyland. So uh, that's one of those things that you do only once. And then there is the Rose Parade coming up this year. I think it is the 104th edition of the Rose Parade. And I have a sheepish admission. I've grown up in Los Angeles my entire life. I have never actually gone to the Rose Parade. And there were many years when I was hung over and I actually never even watched the Rose Parade. But still, everybody says, oh, you got to go at some point. And my feeling is like, oh, geez, you know, it's you got to get up at three o'clock in the morning. It can get down in Los Angeles. It's hard to believe, but it can get down into the low 30s and even high 20s at night. So to fight all of that traffic to get down to Pasadena and to be sitting on the sidewalk for four hours when it is 32 degrees just to see a parade go by, it just doesn't seem worth it to me. And here's a secret that people in Southern California residents know, and that is after the parade, all of the floats are then on display for a couple of days at a local park in Pasadena. So you can see them all up close and personal. You can take all kinds of pictures. You can really spend the day wandering around appreciating the floats. They don't just go whizzing by you. And have you noticed, if you've been watching the Rose Parade, and I assume that all of you do, that... There may be 30 floats, and of the 30, 29 of them are award winners. It's the Princess Award. It's the California Award. It's the National City Award. Uh, Every float seems to win some award. I mean, it really, it's, it's kind of like the parade for the millennials, where everybody gets a trophy. I watch it on TV, but when I was a kid growing up, I don't think they still do this anymore. But like the local channels would cover it. K 
KTLA Channel 5 and KTTV Channel 11. But KTLA Channel 5 was pretty much the Rose Parade station. And they would begin their coverage at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And again, we're talking here the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, I know I'm dating myself. But I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and turn on the TV and watch three hours of pre-parade coverage. And back in those days, of course, we didn't even have color TVs. So you're watching all of this in black and white. And Channel 5 just had their reporters going around interviewing people who were putting flowers on floats. And I was just like transfixed for three hours just watching people tape petals onto floats. And by the time the parade actually came on, I, and I was like done. I was sleepy. I, you know, I, I was done with the parade. Channel 5 in Los Angeles gets about a 50 share. And here in L.A., we have maybe five, six different channels in addition to the local coverage from Channel 5 and Channel 11. We also have the national coverage. ABC and CBS and NBC usually have parade coverage as well. And Channel 5 gets a 50 share And all of the rest might split like another 11 share, something like that. And for years and years, part of the reason was that Bob Eubanks and Stephanie Edwards hosted the parade. And I don't know why we always watched Bob and Stephanie. They kind of had an interesting uh, bickering relationship. And I always thought, especially in the case of uh, Stephanie Edwards, who at one time was sort of a local personality. Uh, She hosted daytime talk shows uh, very, very early on. She was, uh, I think, the original host of Good Morning America when it was called Something Else. But whenever ABC decided to finally take on the Today Show, Stephanie Edwards was the original host. And then... She kind of drifted into doing commercials for Lucky Supermarket. But by and large, uh, she worked one day a year. That's it. She just was a parade host. And when I was out of work, and this was uh, during the days I was like a disc jockey, and, and then I was a freelance writer and David and I would sell a script and we would turn it in. And then after we turn in the script, you're essentially fired. And so you're eligible for unemployment. And they always ask you, well, what is your profession? You know, as, as if, okay, you're a plumber. What did you do to try to get a job? And I always said that I was a TV parade host. And if the uh, <laughs> the unemployment office managed to find me a gig hosting a TV parade, great, more power to them. Otherwise, they gave me no problems. So if you ever go on unemployment, a word to the wise. As I mentioned, Channel 7 
here in Los Angeles, uh, KABC, which is the ABC station, also broadcast the parade. And one year, 1967, the hosts were Vin Scully, who you probably all know for 67 years was the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Vin Scully hosted it with Elizabeth Montgomery, who at the time was starring as Samantha in Bewitched. And they did promos together. You can go on YouTube and and see a promo of uh, Elizabeth and Vin. And Vin told me the story about that fateful morning in 1967 when they co-hosted this parade. Apparently, Elizabeth Montgomery was afraid of heights. And what they did for the parade coverage is they would erect these towers, you know, that basically looked like, you know, ranger stations. And that's where the hosts would sit, you know, probably 15, 20 feet above Colorado Boulevard, and they would host the parade. And then the set would be struck, and that would be it. So Elizabeth Montgomery didn't realize that, until she arrived that morning and saw what looks like this, you know, flimsy tower on these, you know, metal beams. I don't blame her, actually. Well, the only way to get up to the tower is to climb a ladder. And she was deathly afraid of doing that. And so Vin said to her, okay, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you wrap your arms around me and wrap your legs around me? And then I will climb us both up and then later down from the tower. And she said, okay. And he said, so, okay, so now I'm I'm going up the ladder and there is Elizabeth Montgomery just, you know, hanging all over me. And I said to him, you know, Vin, you've called many perfect games. You called the only perfect game in a World Series. You called the famous Kurt Gibson home run, the Dwight Clark catch all of the World Series games you've called, all of the All-Star games you've called, all of the records that you've seen set. I said, none of those, none of those compare to going up a ladder with Elizabeth Montgomery hanging all over you. He said, uh, yeah, that was kind of the highlight of the year for him as well. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about going to Disneyland because I'm kind of bouncing all over the place here. But one of the things that I found so depressing was when you went on the Mark Twain paddle boat ride, which just kind of went around like a, a little man-made river, they had entertainment. And the entertainment on New Year's Eve was Louis Armstrong. On the one end, you go, oh, man, how cool is that? You know, you get to see Louis Armstrong, the great Louis Armstrong. 
And on the other, and it's the way I felt was like, oh, man, how sad is this? I mean, this is like one of the Mount Rushmore jazz performers of the world. And and he's reduced to playing free concerts for people on a Disneyland ride. So, like I said, I got a chance to see Louis Armstrong and... It was really upsetting. One of the things about Los Angeles during the final week of the season, again, leading up to the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl, is a thing called the Beef Bowl. There is a restaurant on La Cienega Boulevard named Lowry's, Lowry's the Prime Rib. And it has been around since, I believe, the 20s, maybe the 30s, long, long time. If you like prime rib, this is the place. They have the best prime rib in the world. And every year, they would invite the two teams that were scheduled to play in the Rose Bowl. They would invite one team one night and the next night the other team. And there would be like a competition to see which team could eat the most prime rib. And they actually had to stop doing that because, you know, these guys are getting bigger and bigger. And so they now just say, okay, uh, you can each have a half a cow and that's pretty much it. But it has become an LA institution and it is called the Laurie's Beef Bowl. And a few years ago, I was filling in doing talk shows on KABC in Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, and I had the general manager of Laurie's on as a guest talking about the Beef Bowl, and I saved that interview, and I thought, hey, I'm going to replay part of that here on the podcast. That's coming up a little bit later. And the other thing I want to talk about is the New Year's Eve shows, for years and years, we would watch Dick Clark, you know, on the New Year's Rockin' Eve. And now it's, you know, Ryan Seacrest. Boy, big deal there. And Anderson Cooper would make a complete idiot of himself every New Year's Eve because he was co-hosting the show with Kathy Griffin. And you go, Anderson Cooper, you know, you're like, you know, one of the most credible journalists. And there you are doing broad jokes with Kathy Griffin. And, of course, this year, after the Kathy Griffin brouhaha with Trump, uh, she is no longer doing the uh, the show with Anderson Cooper. I forget who his co-host is now. It's nobody great, but at least it's not. Kathy Griffin. And, uh, you know, here in L.A., of course, whenever we watch it, it's always three hours delayed. And it's usually such a big nothing. And we always sit and say, what are those nine million people doing in Times Square? Why? Why are they there? And then, of course, by 12.30, it pretty much all clears out. Again, I don't get it. So those are some of my New Year's Eve 
And my final week of 2017 reflections coming up. It's my interview with the general manager of Laurie's talking about the beef bowl. Hollywood and the fine. One of the L.A. traditions is a thing called the beef bowl. And if you're from L.A., you know all about Laurie's the prime rib in Beverly Hills, the best prime rib ever. And since 1956, they have staged what they call the Beef Bowl, where they have fed over 20,000 players, 78,000 pounds of beef, and one salad. And to talk about this, we are now going to chat with Gina Doyle. She is the general manager of Larry's. Gina, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you so much. So exp- I was actually tired listening to you recount all of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of the dishes that you had to clean. Yeah, that must have been terrible. <laughs> well, explain a little bit about what the beef bowl is. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, every year, like you said, um, the two teams that get to come to the Rose Bowl, uh, we, we host in our restaurant. It started out, like you said, um, 58 years ago, it's our 58th year, where Richard and Frank um, wanted to do something with the players. And so we actually first started going to the actual Rose Bowl and feeding them on the field. And the With the carts came, and everything? You, you drag the carts the cart out? out? Wow. Yeah. Spinning salad bowls? Spinning salad bowls and, and the whole nine yards, actually, wow. or a whole hundred yards, I suppose. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, and so we decided to go ahead and bring it to the rest, the event to the restaurant because it started to get so big, and it was something they were looking forward to every year. And it's our way of, you know, thanking um, these student athletes and, and commending them on an incredible season and this very exciting game um, and, you know, and supporting the community. And our relationship with the Tournament of Roses has been nothing less than spectacular all this time. Now, originally it was a competition, right, to see which of the two teams could eat the most? Well, they talk about that and this, this myth of this competition of eating the most. And I will say that, you know, back in the day, I don't believe they put a cap on how much uh, beef could be consumed. I will say, you know, in the last at least decade or, or more, actually, um, we, have, we have narrowed it down a little bit, mostly, you know, from the coaches not wanting these players to be eating at all this prime rib before the biggest game of their life um, to date. So, it, you know, it, it gives them fantastic energy. It's wonderful protein, but not necessarily a competition anymore. Yeah. Okay. So how much beef is each player allowed to consume? Well, they they eat about um, 26 ounces of prime rib. Oh, man, 26 ounces of prime rib. <laughs> I'd sleep till March. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually pretty spectacular to, to see it. Uh, I have gotten word that a couple of them, um, you know, do end up eating more than that. Um, but I, I, have, I haven't actually seen it up, up close in person uh, the last couple of years. They've, they've been hiding it pretty well when they, when they choose that one guy at the table who they want to uh, maybe consume a little bit more. Uh-huh. Yeah, you must see these guys come in and you figure, okay, we're going to need a couple of extra carts. Uh, do they come in on the same night or on different nights? They are on two different nights. Um, we have we feed about 350 people each night, uh, and we also have and you know it's a it's a show for them as well. We have highlights of their season. We do a matchup at the end so they can see you know their highlights versus the opposing team's highlights, um, and it's a presentation and it's 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 a lot of fun. It's fantastic. It's very exciting. We have a red carpet lined up for them. The Queen and Court is there. 
all of the Tournament of Roses people, our Lowry's and Vandekamp family members are all there. It's, it's really a spectacular event. Mm-hmm. And the Queen just has like the petite English cut, probably. Well, you would be surprised. I have seen many <laughs> a Queen and Princess uh, put away both cuts as well and 26 ounces as well. So it's, that's, that is exciting, too. That's kind of special. When all the guys start cheering at the table and we walk over, it's usually because the Princess has just finished her second cut. Okay, what do they drink? Milk? <laughs> they can have milk. A lot of them uh, drink lemonade, some sodas, and mostly water, in all honesty. Uh, mostly water. Yes, absolutely. Well, <laughs> we love the beef bowl. Thank you for doing it. Gina Doyle, the general manager of Laurie's in Beverly Hills. Thanks, Thank Gina. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. All, all right. right. Okay, I'm getting sleepy just thinking about all that beef. Purdue in 2001, their team consumed 734 pounds of beef. And that's without the queen and her court. Okay, that, that's just the guys. Okay, that will do it for not only this episode, but this year, my first year of podcasting. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, and I'm going to have uh, hopefully a lot more interesting stuff, including a really good interview next week. So thanks for hanging in there. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, I will write you back if you email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And again, as kind of a, a New Year's gift, I could sure use a five-star review and uh, a review in iTunes. I have no idea why, but um, I, I don't know. It makes my cholesterol level go down, something like that. In any event, have a happy new year. Thank God 2018 is just around the corner or even here, depending upon when you actually listen to this podcast. I will see you next time. Thanks again. Bye-bye.